Garçon, coffee. Welcome to the Coffee and Death Sticks podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchand. In our hiatus and even going back to last year, we thought we'd talk about the 2022 movies that we've now both seen that we wanted to talk about. So maybe one of us had seen it last year, but the other hadn't. And now we both have, or we've both watched it recently. And we've kind of grouped them into a different, a few different categories. But this is a 2022 catch-up for recommendations or maybe non-recommendations for some of the bigger movies that came out in 2022 that we did not yet have the time to talk about. The first two we wanted to talk about were ones that came out somewhat earlier in the year. The first is Nope. Nope came out in July. And I can't remember when Weird Al started streaming, but two more genre-y movies that we want to talk about both Weird Al, I want to talk about A as a movie and B, its streaming service. And Nope, we could talk about its theatrical release in that streaming service as well. Let's start with Nope. I did see this in a theater, which I think is surprising because I think you are a bigger Jordan Peele fan than I am. I don't think we've really talked about his now three movies in that much detail. Not that I'm not a fan of Jordan Peele. I'm just not a, f- like, I'm not like a fan of Jordan Peele. I just, his movies are good. They come out. I like them. I think yeah, they're, okay. think they're really interesting. Right. Us is my favorite for sure. Oh shit. We're too similar. Of, okay. Of his, go ahead. Trilogy. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't say he's like the new master of horror or anything like that. And not, he said the same thing when they said, Oh, you're the new master of horror. He was like, sir, John Carpenter was still and is the master of horror. Like, what are you talking about? The thing about Jordan mm-hmm. Peele, and I'm about to alienate. I think everyone that listens to this podcast, the thing about Jordan Peele is his movies are M night Shyamalan movies, but better. Oh no. <laughs> I had the same take. I wasn't going to say his movies are, I was going to say his career trajectory is reminding me of M. Night uh, Shyamalan. And I think we could be going in that direction. But anyway. Well, I just you, I just think, it. like, they don't make any sense if you think about it. But the filmmaking is so good. And the little Twilight Zone allegorical parables are so strong and specific that it doesn't matter. Because you get it. Like, the point, you get the point. Whereas M. Night Shyamalan movies don't make any sense and also aren't very good. What? No. People go back and say, oh, well, mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense was good. Like, there's all this, like, M. Night Shyamalan has literally never been a good filmmaker. From his first, from his first, <laughs> his, he's never been good at making movies. He just has tricks and gimmicks and stuff. Sometimes he gets better scripts and better performances. So, yeah, so Jordan Peele, uh, nope, seeing nope is what made me kind of feel that. That I was like, this is just, this really is just a bunch of nonsense. It's just so well done that mm-hmm. it's you're sort of swept away with it but it is it is just it is just silly it makes absolutely no sense however it has this central theme or this central lesson like a twilight because he loves the twilight zone or like the outer limits that each of his movies have and that always works so that's kind of my jordan peele take like it's not that i don't like him it's just that i don't love his movies i just think like they're really good and like, yeah, I can see that there are reasons for people to dislike them. That doesn't necessarily mean you just hate them because you're like a weird internet racist who just like hates seeing black people in movies, which of course there are those people too, who just are like, I hate these movies. They're like too political. It's like, 
<laughs> yeah, they're political just by like having black people in them. Like us is my favorite because it's the it's the one that is the most clearly this isn't supposed to make any logical sense. Just go with it. Just go with this premise, and that's why it's my favorite. It's not trying as hard to be grounded, but like he's already contributed so many like to get out has contributed so many great little nuggets to how we talk about race relations and you know the idea of the Obama voter. Like I would have I would have voted for Obama three times if I could. Like it's just like oh yeah that guy exists that awful smarmy. Bradley Whitford. I mean, that's Bradley Whitford just playing himself in that movie. So he's good. He's fun. Yeah. I like him. So that's my Jordan Peele take. Okay. Then we're similar on how we feel about him, where I think his movies are technically extremely mm-hmm. well done, which for somebody whose background isn't necessarily in filmmaking, but in more writing and comedy, to have the movies be so technically well done is pretty neat that he clearly emphasize that when picking his crews that he wanted these movies to look great sound great and he uses sound and imagery extremely well for a genre that really needs both of them which is a horror thriller so get out for me i think the problem with that was the overhype if i had seen that movie when it was in a theater and i had really no expectations i think i would have loved that film but i saw it I think a year after it was out, after all Oscar attention, and I was like, that ah, I I got what it was saying. It was effective. It had really good characters, for sure a good movie. But I the commentary I thought was a little bit on the nose. But for a first-time filmmaker, like, wow, what a great, great flick. I think that's why I similarly liked Us more was because that one had like no real critical attention and was not a hit. Same thing. I saw that like maybe two years after it came out. Yeah, I liked Get Out, but I didn't. I wasn't dying to see Us, and it had lesser reviews. But then I was very into that movie because, like you said, the premise is ridiculous, but it had a great message, and that one was a little yes. scarier. So I thought as a horror film, it worked better. It had great supporting characters. I loved Elizabeth Moss in that. But Lupita Nyong'o she is, is steals the movie playing two different characters who are both both very interesting and i did see the twist coming from a mile away in that one but it's fine because it's not trying to be that's where i don't think the m night comparison is fair because i don't think any of these movies are trying to give you that third act twist to shock you to surprise you there were enough breadcrumbs left in this one but that it's really, it's very satisfying, the the ending. I think it held on a little too long. I wish the head turn was just kind of, you'd kind of just left it there. But that's fine. So I liked Us a lot. So then when Nope came out, I was kind of back to being more intrigued by Jordan Peele because of how much I liked Us. And I liked Nope. I recommend Nope. I'd say it's my least favorite Likewise. of the three. Because I think... The premise for me was less interesting. The sci-fi premise of it all was kind of, which spoiler, I don't think we're really spoiling much. Both this movie's been out for a while. And I think the trailer and poster essentially are telling you that there is some sort of alien type thing going on. And the twist here is that it's cloud. It's the big, that's the thing. Now, why I, I wasn't super into that. And the other reason I wasn't quite as into this movie is I thought it threw out too many ideas. 
and it was less focused than the other two. Whereas the first one, like you, the first one was the best in terms of why, like I said, while it was a little bit on the nose, get out is the best at having a message about the limousine yes. liberal and it's targeting that group. Like you said, you could Bradley Whitford. I think it was a trailer line saying I would have yeah. voted for Obama. They're so like, racist. You can, there's so many people like that. They are so racist, but they don't, if you said you're racist, they'd be like, what are you talking about? I think you guys are awesome. That's why I want to steal your bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's what I mean when it gets on the nose, but it's, but a great, really good, I mean, a great premise. Again, I, I, I think if I saw it when it came out, I would have, my mind would have been blown, which is, I think why the praise was so high. But then when it came you time for you me didn't to see, see it, it at like, like the right okay. time, you saw it after having yes. been told this is the greatest thing that's ever been made. And you see it and it's like, that's never a good thing to go into having been told this movie's the greatest movie. Because sure. if you're wired the way you and I are wired, it's like, oh, 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 is it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of M. Night, The Sixth Sense, I saw well after that was like the most famous thing ever. So talk about a movie that has... When you know what's going on the whole time, it's like now this is not interesting whatsoever. Boring, boring snooze. Yeah. But back to Nope. So Nope has the trailer. Kiki Palmer's character is talking about black people being involved in cinema since its origin. And I thought that was going to maintain itself as the primary kind of theme in the movie. And it really isn't it quickly goes away from that idea other than just saying it, there is some sort of level of recognition being lost. So the father character was this great background with stunts and having horses involved in entertainment and kind of not having identity. So that maintains a presence, but I wish that had been the focal point. And I think it could have had a lot more fun with it being a meta, a movie with black people about the history of black people yes. in cinema. I wish that had been the movie. And funny enough, this was the one I think of his three movies where the sci-fi element took the movie over and it just became yeah. a sci-fi movie. Whereas I think the other two are more about societal issues that Jordan Peele wanted to talk about. And this one was like, Hey, I have this premise that I want to make a sci-fi movie about where I'll, Oh, but I'm the guy who, has to have political mm-hmm. commentary. So he has like four different political commentary ideas that got lost in the weeds of his sci-fi idea that I didn't think was that great of a sci-fi idea. Yeah, I mean, I just agree I just agree with that. <laughs> I just agree with that completely. A lot of good moments. I mean, a lot of... This was a movie that like looks and sounds fantastic in a movie theater. The mm-hmm. it, was, it was so great to hear the rasping tones of Michael Wincott on the big screen for the first time in many moons. It's gonna be all right, Angel. We don't deserve the impossible. That warmed my heart because I love that guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's got such a face. He has such a... And voice. I love that, you know, and that's the stuff I like about Jordan Peele. Like, he did that. He's like, oh, Michael Wincott, yeah, get him in this movie. Like he's a great old '90s character actor. What's his name in The Crow? Top Dollar, I think, is his. He played like exclusively villains. Top, Top Dollar, Dollar. He's Rochefort in the Disney Three Musketeers. Oh, he's he's the captain in Alien Resurrection. He just has such a great voice, and 
I love him in Alien he's Resurrection. Great. We talk, I can't believe how much I enjoyed that film, and he and the crew yeah. were a big part of why I liked it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I just think um, it's like a kitchen sink movie. He threw a lot of stuff into it. Yeah. And because he's a good cook, like, it pretty much, you know, works. I just remember feeling like, oh, that was, that was a lot. That was definitely maybe a little, like, too much. I wish it had been more. I wish it had been more focused. You know, Get Out is so focused and, mm-hmm. and like, tight us i think is like us is just so is so good and nope was like it's not like a c it's just sort of like a low it's like a b it's just like it's just good yeah good movie it was just funny to watch people react to it and be like oh it was just good like it, they were expecting a masterpiece um because they've been sort of conditioned that you know he just makes these horror thriller masterpieces but you know sometimes you just make a good movie and when you're a good filmmaker like that what's wrong with that (laughs) he just you know that's that's him kind of not at his best but it's still better than a lot of other people i mean nope was better than old (laughs) i guarantee you it was better than old (laughs) i didn't see old i haven't seen old yet but i recently watched the visit for the first time that's to me like yeah Yeah. and i knew the twist also so it kind of ruined it but i at least Shyamalan is starting to like recognize his limitations and he knows like what he's good at. And he's, you know, I've kind of actually enjoyed this like second half of his career where he's less pretentious and more just, he just makes like cheaper kind of trashy horror movies. And, and this is what I wanted to say with the peel. All I mean is I kind of want Jordan peel to do something different. I don't mean to say like, oh, he should make a comedy because he did Key and Peel, or maybe he, I mean, maybe he should make a comedy eventually, but just something that isn't this, it's a sci-fi movie with a political message wrapped in it because it's going to start getting tired. He's going to start getting typecast behind the camera. It's like the Wes Anderson of it all or the M. Night of it all, where it's, they have to deliver on the same idea. So with Shemelon, it was the first three movies were pretty good sixth sense on and not i know he directed one or two movies before it but the first mm. three big ones but it was sixth sense unbreakable and signs and then i think after that was when it really started to go downhill Absolutely. so i'd like to see jordan peele the village lady in the water the happening i've never seen any of these the last three that i've said i've seen his earlier stuff and then i've missed the like when it got really bad and then I've come back since the visit, and I've seen Split, and oh, Glass, and happening. happening is when the tagline for the happening, which is "It's happening." That's <laughs> that's right. That's right. Checked out. Yeah, I almost wish that this had been yeah. a film about this family trying to capture some weird phenomenon as a way to kind of save their ranch, and it's left ambiguous yeah. as to what it is. And then you can sort of then connect it to showbiz and you get the steven i don't know i'm not gonna say his name right steven yun 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 it could be yun i don't know i've never i've let's never call heard him it um, out loud oh my god um glenn right? thank you i was about to say let's call him by his walking so dead glenn, character i died that you tie it in glenn and i couldn't he's even like think a of his name and you know he's like milking this past tragedy from his like early showbiz like, I, I liked all that stuff, like the whole showbiz, the way showbiz, like, kind of eats people up or all that, all that stuff. But 
Yeah, just like the big sci-fi cloud thing. I, I don't know. It's just yeah. It, it didn't. Uh, it didn't click for me in the way us really clicked, and that get out clicked. Similar to kind of like the lighthouse. Like I liked the lighthouse, but the lighthouse wasn't really my favorite of that trilogy from that director. Even though that's the second one, not the third one. That's set way in way way too modern. Like that's the eighteenth, the nineteenth century is, is way way too contemporary. I like that the witch and the Northmen are in the past. I definitely recommend Nope. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's good. Yeah. Peacock has been one of my least favorite streaming services just from a user-friendly perspective. Yep. But content-wise, I will say it's been better, frankly, because it's just been putting out whatever the Universal movies have been. That's how I watched Halloween Ends. I know this seemed to get like a little extra life when it was put out on Peacock. And they have Tar on there now, Violent Night. I watched the BJ Novak movie. Oh, I should have asked you if you watched that with our 20... Vengeance? I don't know if you watched that. No, I'm not I'm not in favor of BJ Novak. I'm opposed, <laughs> I'm, opposed, I'm opposed to him on principle. Fair enough. But Peacock has a lot of 2022 movies streaming on it now. So at least content-wise, it's been better, but... Yeah, it still sucks with just fast fast forward play, finding stuff, making lists. Oh. It is the worst. Abby and I watch Law and Order on Peacock. That's how we watch Law and Order. And there are days where it's just like we're like Peacock, you're drunk. We can't get through. We go to pause and rewind, and it's just like we're back at the. It's 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 madness. Speaking of madness and streaming services, there is a streaming service called the Roku Channel. So they claim which. So they claim. So extremely confused by this streaming service because I heard about the Weird Al movie a couple years ago. The big casting news was Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al Yankovic. And I thought it was like a legitimate biopic when I first heard about it. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, But it was being produced by the Roku channel. So I naturally thought, well, fuck, I don't have a Roku, so I won't be able to watch the Weird Al movie. Well, it turns out, if you're listening to this, you don't need to have a Roku. You can just download the app, the Roku channel streaming service, and you can watch. They have a few original projects, and otherwise they have... This is actually how I watch the, The Visit. The only reason I watched The Visit was, oh, I missed that a couple years ago, and it hasn't been streaming, and now it's on the Roku channel. So I've watched The Visit and now the Weird Owl movie. Not the best streaming service. Similarly, content-wise, it's a little bit lacking. You have to watch ads, but you don't pay for anything either. So it's kind of like Tubi. I use Tubi all the time. Yeah. And it's... See, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Roku is, is, is my favorite streaming service because it's just like... Oh, is it? Yeah, I've got, we've got Roku's and it's just like we've got the live TV function and it's just... It's just like watching your programs. Like the old days, I can watch classic Doctor Who. I can watch this old house. I can watch that Jonathan Frake show where he walks around the room and he's like, you ever heard about a bicycle that could fly? I think it's like Beyond Belief or whatever. Unsolved Mysteries. It's wonderful. I love the Oh, They've got a Bob Ross channel. It's perfect. It's like the TV station in Gremlins 2. There's a channel for everything. I feel like such an old person when I'm watching the Roku channel. It's like, Abigail, they've got a channel on here that's just it's just about painting. 
I'm glad I brought it up. I didn't. I shouldn't be casting aspersions yeah. when I didn't know everything about it. No, but if you want to watch the latest hottest stuff, you're not going to find that. Well, so my version of that is Pluto. Yeah, I, I have that app too because every once in a while there's some um, whatever movie is streaming on that, yeah. and anytime I throw that on, that it's kind of what you're describing, where there's actual live channels of yes. basically old timey shows and yeah. whatever types of programming. So what a bizarre choice for them to be the streaming service of the Weird Al movie, which, again, I I think we're both trying to do this. I'm going to talk to you after we record about another movie. Anyway, trying to not read descriptions, watch trailers, and just watching a movie, just seeing what kind of experience it is. So that's what I did with the yes. Weird Al movie. And two minutes into it, I said to Mary, is this a... Wait a minute. Are we watching a real biopic... Or, fittingly, is this a spoof of a biopic using Weird Al as the vessel, which is completely appropriate? How how fitting? And that's exactly what it was. So, this movie, I loved this movie. Yes. I didn't laugh out loud. It's not that type of comedy often. I think I did a couple of times. There were a couple gags that I did, I did laugh. But it's the type of thing you watch with just a smile on your face the whole time. Yes. Because you're like, this is just really clever, but also remarkably stupid at the same time. Yep. And Uh, it it reminded me of a little film called UHF, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Okay. I've never seen it. It's also on the Roku channel, so I will have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of UHF. And I also wasn't sure what kind, what the deal was. Weird. The Al Yankovic story. Like, I wonder how they, like, went about this. And then, like you said, the first two minutes, it's, <laughs> oh, it's just, this is going to be the most aggressively stupid film they possibly <laughs> could have made. I mean, Weird, Weird Al, as as the studio executive that that is, like, get get, him, Perfect. get a record deal. Really? No! <laughs> like, just, just wonderful. It was really dumb, completely made up. Nothing in the movie happened. He did not have, like, a tumultuous love affair with madonna but like it's just i just i just love that because weird al's whole vibe is this this humbleness like his whole thing is like oh shucks i just like making people laugh so if people approach him say we're gonna make a movie about you he's like that's silly we're not gonna do that we're gonna make a silly movie and we're gonna it's gonna be made up but like we're not gonna actually make a movie about he, to his credit, is like, we are not going to tell the story of how I became Weird Al. No one cares. <laughs> like, yeah. That is not a compelling drama. It's just funnier to just goof around. You know, Daniel Radcliffe doesn't look like him. He doesn't sound like him. But it's like a fantastic performance. Daniel Radcliffe is... He's awesome. He's like the greatest child actor of all time. Just the, the roles he picks. It was so much fun. It was. It reminded me of another movie I watched this year, The Pentaveret on Netflix with Mike Myers. Um, it was like this little Mike Myers movie that like no one liked. Oh yes, it was, yes. It was just nonsense. It was just silly nonsense, and it made me chuckle because I miss movies. I miss comedies like that, not like gross out. Oh my god, things are crazy like Hanover type comedy. I miss silly. I miss silly comedies about how things are goofy and nonsensical. That's why I liked Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I miss comedies altogether. Yes, well, yeah. Sitcoms have remained 
really good. There is always a solid, whether it, well, not on broadcast TV any, anymore, but on some sort of streaming service or whatever, you can rely on funny TV shows. The whole, you know, like, you can't be funny anymore, comedy's dead. The argument is really more the $50 million movie is dead. Yes. Because things have remained funny on television, but movies, comedies have just really been hit hard the last, like, I mean, Super Bad is probably the best, most recent hilarious movie. We really like the other guys, but it's the 2010s. There are few comedy films I can think of, Book Smart, that really landed. The genre yeah. had a rough decade, and it's continued so far. And like you said, a lot of them have sucked, like the house. With- well, that's what I mean. Yeah, there haven't been any that have had any like resonance. Yeah, and this one reminded me. I thought of Awesome Powers a lot. I thought of like late '90s, early 2000s, just silly, ridiculous comedies. Or like Drunk History. It reminded me kind of of that same feel too. But it just what a fun. I'm not going to oversell this movie. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to watch it and be rolling around on the ground laughing. It's not that funny, but it's an enjoyable film, especially just the meta of it all. Like taking yeah. a guy, like you said, who just had a pretty normal life, who kind of fucking lucked his way into being famous and just doing the most yep. ridiculous thing that made people laugh, that he is a household name to our generation, the, our parents' generation. He's a household name. And this was just, like I said, a perfect vessel to spoof the biopic. And it spoofs every single aspect, specifically a musician biopic. Yes. The tumultuous relationship with parents. Yep. Struggles with getting famous, like the being famous, then getting the ego getting out of control, the relationship with a member of the opposite sex. The third act, though, other than the redemption yep. with the parents, that one doesn't really spoof anything. It just it, it turns into its, its own thing, which is awesome. Yep. There's this great running gag of his father wants him to just be a normal person, just have a normal nine to five job, and he works at the factory. And they never quite say what is made at this particular factory. And at one point, Weird Al ends up having to work at the factory, and he asks a different guy, so what is it we make here? And even that guy's like, oh, kid, like you have so much to learn. Just great, ridiculous jokes like that, that I love that Weird Al was a part of it. Like you said, that he was in it. Just a lot of fun. For Daniel Radcliffe's performance alone, Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna is excellent. I got a big kick out of her take on Madonna. Yes. A lot of fun, this movie. It's a blast. It's a hoot. It reminded me of Walk Hard. Yes. That's a good comparison. Another really good comedy that I wish they would make more movies like that. That just kind of... It's like, why keep making musical biopics when when a movie like that comes along and just perfectly punctures why they're all so formulaic? Yes. Son Dewey Cox has to think about his entire life before he goes on stage. Like, <laughs> love that kind of stuff. So, if you like Walk Hard, you'll like Weird, the Al Yankovic story. If you don't like Weird Al, don't watch it because a lot of people don't like Weird Al. Like, Weird Al is not for everyone. Yeah, like, my dad hates Weird Al. <laughs> he can't, can't can't stand Weird Al, so I wouldn't recommend it to him. But it's just silly. It's just fun and silly, and it's on the Roku channel. The cutest little purple little. It's like a fake little. It's like a fake little channel. We watched this coincidentally like a week or two after we watched Elvis. 
So this was like the perfect one-two punch after, oh. which I will say, um, did, you have not seen Elvis. No, I have not. So I'll quickly say this was my first Baz. I think I told you that. I have never okay. seen any Baz Luhrmann movies before this. So Elvis was a, it was a long movie. It hits a lot of these same cliche musical biopic type things, but it did move at a very quick pace. The editing was tremendous. And visually, if you're going to do soup to nuts Elvis story, I thought this was actually okay. It was pretty efficient. Baz Luhrmann, he's he's a showman. Yeah. He does know how to put on a put on a pageant. That is definitely true. It got a best picture nomination. I don't know if it deserved that it definitely deserved editing and costume design because I, I thought those were both handled well. But Danny and I also wanted to, speaking of the Oscars, we wanted to talk about a couple of the best picture nominated movies that we've both seen that we didn't talk about. This was a weird year where three pretty big hits at the box office were then nominated for best picture. So we've already reviewed Avatar. Well, Mary and I reviewed Top Gun. And everything everywhere all at once. We did way back in April when it initially came out. And then because of our Spielberg love, we've also already talked about the Fablemans. But two that we wanted to talk about that we didn't review were All Quiet on the Western Front and The Banshees of Inishirin. Danny, what should you let's do let's do Banshees first, because that came out a little bit beforehand and I think we both saw that we yeah, we saw that a while ago. All Quiet I only watched recently. Parenthetically, I never said this in the podcast, but I saw Top Gun Maverick and it was it was incredible. <laughs> if you want to, you I'm always uh, open to talking about Top Gun Maverick. So if you want to expand on that, oh, just movie, just just pure movie magic, just just fantastic. I saw it in a the theater. I listened to the episode that you and Mary did, and I was at a, the movie scene, a different movie, and I saw a thing for it, and I was like, I got to come back soon and see that on the theater, uh, a theater screen, and I did, and I'm glad I did. Just movie magic of the highest order and just a wonderful film metaphor about how these fucking boomers won't die and <laughs> let us take <laughs> that's a good a one per- just a perfect a perfect american movie i loved it i love top gun maverick it's really good anyway anyway um yes the banshees of inna sharon which i watched at dawn <laughs> I watched it dawn with my son. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, I couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep, so we just sat there on the couch and watched the Banshees of Inisherin, and it was beautiful. I love this movie. I don't know. I don't, I don't like picking favorite movies of the year anymore, just because so many movies come out, and sometimes I see it. Sometimes I see a movie I haven't seen for the first time, but it's from like ten years ago, and it's like, well, that was kind of my favorite movie of the year because I had never seen it before, and I saw it this year, but. Man, like I think if I was an Oscar voter, that's probably the one I would have maybe voted for. That or that or the Fablemans, maybe. But I don't think the Fablemans. Right? Did the Fablemans get nominated? Mm-hmm. It did. Yeah, oh, it had best picture. It just got shut. It just got shut out. Yeah, um, this got shut out. All but yeah, I Banshees. Of- I don't think this won a single award, which is which is crazy. Oh, which is which is a damn shame because this is so much better than that stupid ass three billboards outside of Evan Minnesota movie that I don't like. Evan Minnesota? <laughs> Evan Minnesota, right? Is that the name of the movie? Missouri. <laughs> I, I, uh, I didn't know if you were doing that intentionally or not. 
Oh, that's right. It's not Minnesota. He's a shit-kicking Southern uh, guy. He's just like Sam Rockwell. Every movie, he's just like, I'm racist, but don't worry. I'll be good by the end of it. Mm. Just, uh, God, couldn't stand that movie. It's just Martin McDonough, go back to Ireland where you belong. Do things with Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. That's what you should be doing. And so I liked that that was what he did with this movie. Yeah. It takes place on this island in sort of the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, but that's not quite... It is literally just sort of the backdrop. And um, how do you break up with your friend? <laughs> it's like, how do you like not be friends with someone? And uh, it just kind of goes from there. It's like really good. It's just, it's very, it's just a very human film. I loved it. It's the only one that we've talked about that I've seen twice because I've watched it since the mm. first time I saw it. This is maybe one that I would want to watch again because I watched it split up. I watched it with Mary and I knew she didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know if she, she might be in earshot right now. I don't fully know how I feel about it. Add this to the list of things that I've watched without knowing a damn thing about it other than the director and the actors. And I've, I love in Bruges, love that film. I haven't seen it in a while, but excellent, excellent movie. Seven psychopaths was okay. I saw that in a theater. I liked it well enough. And Three Billboards, I did like Three Billboards more than you did. I don't remember it extremely well, but I remember liking it. For this one, like you said, he's back in Ireland. The cinematography in this is stunning. The Carter Burwell score, beautiful. By the way, we have to I don't think that's been said in this podcast what a crime, what an absolute disgusting crime it is that Michael Giacchino did not get nominated for best original score for the Batman. talked about that at length in our batman review and the only two categories that i thought the batman should have been nominated in were the two that i just named were cinematography and score and it was nominated for neither roger deakins just did an interview where he was asked what he thought the best shot film of the year was and he said the batman and he is the utmost i love that man I love Roger deakins he's the utmost authority on cinematography yeah he's literally he's he's the goat well, the thing about the Batman is that movie was so dark, and yet I could see everything. Yes, which is not the case with most dark. That's a running joke. It's like no one can fucking see anything on film and television anymore. But the Batman was really dark, and yet I was never like, "What is happening?" Like everything was very clear. Yes, it was shot really well, and yeah, the music in the Batman is is fantastic. So yeah, I, I agree. Anyway, I just had to say that out loud. Yeah. Because I, I named those two categories for this, but this was deserving. Yeah. So I had no idea what the premise of the movie was, though, which is yeah. stated pretty early on. And I think 
Mary and I said to it, like, this can't be what the entire movie is about. <laughs> it can't just be about breaking up with your friend. But what a perfect, what I love about this yep. movie is no place better than an Irish island to have two men ending a friendship with each other in the most blunt way possible. And it's one-sided, which I think works really well yeah. too, because you have two very contrasting characters. Yes. And it's one of these things where you don't, as soon as you're seeing what the movie is and what it's about, it's nothing I've really ever contemplated before. Because I think when you have casual friends or, you know, high school friends, college friends, work friends, and if you move or you graduate or you get a different job, those friendships just kind of end. Or like I said, a casual friend, it kind of just drifts off. Like there's no hard feelings or whatever. Right. But if you have a lifelong deep friendship where there's never really a blow up moment, but you just kind of recognize that it needs to end, married couples get divorced. Long-term boyfriend, girlfriends break up. But yeah. what happens when it's just a friendship? Very interesting story premise with two perfect actors for it and a perfect backdrop, perfect filmmaker to handle it. From that perspective, I really loved it. That said, I wasn't super into this film because I it just got too crazy for me. Because I don't want to talk about this in great detail if you haven't seen it. I, I ultimately recommend it. Like I said, it's one that I want to watch from beginning to end without interruption, sure. knowing what it's about, knowing where it's going to see what how I feel about it because yeah. I think it gets a little a little crazy for a movie that's pretty grounded early on. And I, I thought some of the things that happened weren't fitting with mm -hmm. the overall tone. It got like wacky for me. Yes. It's like kind of slow yeah. and then it gets wacky. And I thought if it remained grounded... And was maybe like 10... It's it's not a long movie. No. But if it was like 10, 15 minutes shorter and more grounded, I think I would have liked it a little bit more. I think there's probably a way they could get to that ending without making it so... Without the shenanigans being so shenanigany to get to that. Because the ending is perfect. Yes. The way you get to that ending, it's like, oh, we've taken a lot of twists and twists and turns, but... Yeah, you've known this guy forever, and then one day he comes to you and says, I think you're kind of stupid, and I want to just make music. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Like, it's just so... And it's got... Um, we were just talking about Rome, and it's got Carrie Condon in it. I've only ever seen... And yeah, she's great on Rome. Yeah, who I can't yeah. believe we didn't mention. Oh. We had a Rome yeah. conversation, and I thought about it after. I'm like, she was probably my favorite character on Rome, and we didn't even name her. Or Polly Walker. We didn't really talk about that entire subset of characters. We just want to quickly say, like, Polly Walker, the worst human being in the, <laughs> in the world. Oh, in real life? Not Polly. No, not Polly oh. Walker. Polly Walker. <laughs> oh, her char oh, yes, her character definitely is, but I, I thought... No, Polly Walker is, is, is fantastic, but Adia. Oh, yeah. Adia of the Julii on Rome is just the nastiest she is a nasty woman <laughs> and her poor daughter has to put up with her for two seasons and it's, yeah she is just like the most delightful like not quite camp but it's just like oh my god this woman is horrible <laughs> yes and she's gorgeous they're all gorgeous she is but yeah Mary Condon's great in this Barry uh Keown 
is great in this. He's good in everything. Speaking of the Batman. Speaking of our new, oh, our new oh, that's Joker. Right. That's right. He put oh, Calendar Man. He played Calendar Man in that. No, it's Calendar Man. He's definitely playing Calendar Man. Everyone keeps saying it's the Joker, but I think it's obviously Calendar Man. I don't know why it would be the Joker. I think it's pretty explicitly Calendar Man. <laughs> Everyone knows that the fans want Calendar Man. <laughs> you know what? I would love if it's the Calendar Man. Wouldn't that be... I don't want to be the fucking Joker again. <laughs> For that reason alone, that would be such an awesome... Yes. Our new Joker. The new Joker is in this, and he's good. He's good. He's always good. He's a weird looking. He's a weird, strange looking little Tom Hardy. He's got a memorable face. Yes, he does. Uh, that's going to go a long way for him because he's yeah. He's going to get some. He's going to get some roles. He's got a. He's the only. He's, he's going to be like a Mads Mikkelsen. He's type. the only thing I can remember about Eternals. Yeah, Druig, whose powers are being Irish and shifty. <laughs> that's all I remember about Eternals is that one of them that there's a guy named Fatso. That the big fat guy's name is literally Fatso, or it's like Fastos or something like that. And that one of them is Druig, and he's his powers are that he's Irish and can't be trusted. But yeah, Banshee's of Sharon. It's like a, not a hard movie, but it's just like not like warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I think that was another... I should have known that because Three Billboards was starting to get into more despair territory for McDonough, unlike yes. in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. But... I was expecting with those two lead performers and I just watched the guard and I've since watched cavalry Ah. McDonough's brother. Yes. I'm blanking on his John Michael. Yes. So I had seen those two Brandon Gleason roles. So I'm expecting like funny. I mean, he's always funny no matter what, even in this movie that has much darker subject matter. He still has numerous funny moments. I was expecting something a little bit more lighthearted. So this can be the downside of not knowing what a movie is about when you go watch a movie. It was not what I was expecting at all. So I think that might have uh, tampered with my experience in watching this. Sure. Again, in terms of filmmaking perspective, top notch. Oh, yeah. But the script and the subject matter, maybe not. You have to be in a certain mood to watch this, for sure. Yes. Yes, I agree. Like a movie like The Guard or In Bruges, The Guard especially, I could probably watch that movie. So good. Anytime. Yeah. And um, I love Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson's always so good. I hope he wins an Oscar someday because he's very good at acting. Yeah. The best Donald Trump that we'll ever, that we'll probably ever get. That awful movie, The the Comey. I haven't watched it. It's terrible, but he's he's so good because he captures... The innate weirdness of what it must be like to talk to that guy. <laughs> yeah. And Colin Farrell is is such a he's always been a good actor. He just like was kind of weird and embarrassing in the two thousands, but he's never been a bad actor. He's great. But yeah, it's not like a like yeah, like I said, I watched it at dawn, like the sun was coming up. It's not a movie it's like the perf the perfect time to watch it. Watching that at dawn when you couldn't sleep. Yes. That's a good mood to yes. watch this movie. Yes. Mary and I came home on a Friday night and had yeah. a drink in hand. And it's like, let's watch a movie. And yeah. it was like, oh, and any, fuck. And man. any yeah. sadness I felt was offset by the fact that I was holding my son. Yeah. <laughs> I could just have yeah. my little son next to me. And he was just kind of not really watching it, obviously, but he was just kind of like making little noises. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, really, really good movie. One of, one of my favorites from the last year, for sure. 
I'd like to give, while you're talking about your son, I'd love to give a shout out to Zach, who was a guest star on this program last year. We did a big Oscar preview show, and then we talked about the best pictures. We toyed with doing something similar this year, but he and his wife just had a son themselves. William was born in December. So congratulations to Zach. All of us are just super busy with our adult lives these days. So I text him, I think, the week of the Oscars. And at that point, he had only seen four or five of the best picture. And I had only seen six or seven. So it was like, you know what? Better luck. Maybe we'll do it next year. I've now seen nine of them. He's seen all ten. Tar is the one I haven't seen, which Zach said. I should pull the exact quote. But he basically said, my eyes will be rolling the entire time with its pretentiousness. So (laughs) when I read that, I said, fuck, I don't want to watch Tar. It's two and a half hours long. And it's on Peacock. So it's just like a triple threat of awful. So I have not watched Tar yet. But the other best picture movie that you and I wanted to talk about, which I had like the opposite reaction to it of Banshees of Inishirin, is All Quiet on the Western Front. Now... I'm speaking for myself. I wonder if you're going to feel similarly. Teenage years, war movies was basically like stolen valor where I thought, (laughs) oh man, like war movies are so awesome and wasn't it so cool in Saving Private Ryan when that guy's arm is off and he finds his arm and he's walking around with it. I still think that scene is really cool, but now I think it's really cool from like, how they pulled that off from a filmmaking perspective. Yes. The older I get, why the fuck does war ever happen? And this is the perfect story. It's like the ultimate Mm -hmm. story about why does war ever happen? And I don't want to give the cliche too, too badly of this was the movie we needed right now, but this happened to be extremely timely with the war in Ukraine. Anyway, when it came to this movie coming out, I thought, you know, Another World War One or World War Two movie. We're now in a World War One phase after 1917, and even Wonder Woman kind of like kicked off. Like, hey, remember World War One? So remember trenches? Remember like, let's yes. make movies with those. That's been kind of going on, and I think war movies for me are just from decades ago. They were more like sometimes propaganda, sometimes more genuine, trying to be like heroism. But the last like 20, 30 years, they've been more war is fucking awful. 40 years, we'll say, like Oliver Stone going back to the 80s. War is really bad. Yeah. And here's why visually. Either way, whether it's more of a heroic, triumphant thing or war is really bad, I'm kind of sick of the genre. What else can we do with this genre? Sure. When I saw a two and a half hour remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, made by Netflix for Netflix. I really had no interest seeing the poster. It's like, I know exactly, well, I thought I knew exactly what the movie was going to be. But then I watched it with no expectations, and I really liked it quite a bit for a couple of reasons. One, there was an added element that was not in the original movie that there was a lot more of the politics of what was going on at the time of the end of the war. Mm. So you have a setting of the German leaders with the French leaders trying to negotiate the armistice. And then you also had a German general mulling over the end of the war and his place in history and how he feels he needs to just die in war, blah, blah, blah. 
on top of the actual battle stuff in your main cast of characters who are involved in the actual warfare, that was a plus for me. Yeah. And then just how everything looks better, sounds better as time goes on with filmmaking, but this looked incredible. The attention to detail, the score. This has now we know won the, the Oscar for Best Original Score. And it had that really haunting theme that was tremendous. like the batman to win but this actually reminded me a lot of the batman score yeah it's just a very simple yes that was used repeatedly but really effectively just a very technically sound movie that had a lot going for it that made me like it way way more than i was expecting yeah similar to you i used to watch war movies and westerns all the time as a kid and definitely found it harder and harder to like get into them because of like what you said, like with the whole war is hell thing, like you, like a movie like Saving Private Ryan, visually it's like war is hell, but thematically it's like, but this is the most important war that ever happened, which is like, yeah, I mean, right. that's a war. The Nazis were the were the bad guys, but it's like it, it because it's jarring. Like that movie's, I like that movie, but there's always that jarring. The visuals are so graphic and violent, but then like the music. And the themes are so flag-waving that it's kind of like, uh, what's the argument here? Where something like Platoon, it just, it looks like it sucks. None of it looks cool. And it's just kind of like, it's like, uh, it's just, this is, this was awful. And why are we fighting? Why are we in this jungle? This is, this is what the fuck? Yeah. And it gets just, yeah, the, the higher thing just gets turned into this very simple Charlie Sheen has an angel and a devil on his shoulder. The angel's Willem Dafoe, the devil's Tom Berenger. What kind of soldier is he going to be? Like, that's that's it. There are certain old movies, like, I like Patton, Bridge Too Far. Like, I like the big sort of epic, like, large scale, mm-hmm. because they don't get into... Their whole thing is just, let's just look at the war from, in Patton's case, one absolute maniac's <laughs> point of view over the course of the war. A bridge too far is let's look at this entire battle from the perspective of multiple different people. I kind of like that. But then like these movies the last couple of years, like Dunkirk 1917, I wouldn't count Wonder Woman as a World War One movie, but like it was, it, well, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird to be watching a superhero movie and I'm like, wait, is, is, is the villain in this really Eric von Ludendorff? <laughs> like, the, the, like the architect of like, okay, all right, that's a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not calling Wonder Woman a World War One movie. No, but it's so true. Like, it's such an important part of that movie. And I think it kicked off like a resurgence in making World War One movies because I think it was like two things. One, they didn't want to just do World War Two because everybody just does World War Two. Captain America had been the superhero in World War Two. Yes, and the contrast of Themyscira and then War Torn. Europe in World War One of like this is just so disgusting. Yeah, was like 
Okay, that was kind of a smart choice. You picked visually a war that isn't often as done cinematically. You're not doing Captain America again, and the themes work pretty well. It was kind of weird to see a superhero jumping out of a trench, and I get the obvious theme they were going with there with No Man's Land, but it was still like, oh, this is kind of weird. Yeah. But that did seem to kick off. I know I'm missing one or two others, but 1917 was the biggest one that I'm thinking of for World War One. Yeah, and I think it's just because World War One is such a such it's such a pointless just a complete waste of time. It's just there are revisions that try to go back and sort of say like, "Oh, it gets mm-hmm. overblown at how oh. it was it wasn't that bad of a war." It's like it was slaughter on a massive industrial scale with like no point or purpose and it really was like holy shit like what are what are we doing like what on earth is the point of any of this which is why i really liked the new all quiet on the western front movie because yes it like really captured just like it this is just so stupid that right that they have to do this like it's such a waste it's like a genuinely anti-war film because it doesn't glorify it at all. Like Dunkirk, I love Dunkirk, but Dunkirk does have a glorifying aspect, which is the average English citizen coming across the channel to pick up the boys. Tom Hardy giving his absolute last to so that he can get that spitfire to, you know what I mean? Like there's all these little moments of like British patriotic fervor. 1917 even has like a tiny tiny bit of that but a lot less because again it's world war one it's the one where they all were slaughtered for no reason right yeah 1917 i think was built more off of the visual yes. what if we can do this in one exactly whereas this is just no there's no there's nothing here it's just it's just a waste of human life and you got this idiot being like oh i should probably die in battle it's like well then go do that <laughs> yeah instead of ordering everybody else to do it while you don't exactly why don't, why don't you go do that you asshole. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's been very rare. It's very rare that a war is a simple case of good and evil, or like there's a side that has to win. And it's hard to do. You know, World War II movies, that can be done well because, again, the enemy are like the Nazis. Civil War movies, that can be done well. Yeah. Not to piss off any that, that's... Know, Confederate listeners, but. Um... <laughs> That is about it for at least like somewhat recent. But I'm uh, trying to think of like righteous wars yeah. that had a higher purpose beyond territorial gains. And then even with World War II, it's like there's always that last year of World War II where everything everything was shitty. Firebombing Dresden and yeah, dropping dropping the atom bombs. It's like it all gets it all gets really messy. Like the war is winding down, and so the Allies are getting prepared for the cold war so it gets messy it always gets really messy yeah this was a great a great portrayal of like this young boy thinking oh this is gonna be great and then he's just like slowly gets just his soul sucked out of him yeah he's just hollowed out from within because war is hell like it is it's awful (laughs) it's it's an awful awful thing that we're lucky that most people don't have to experience it they shall not grow old. It was the other World War One movie. I was right. thinking, gr- granted, it's a documentary, and it yeah. was actually a year before 1917. But yes. yeah, you mentioned Dunkirk. So yeah, Dunkirk and 1917 are almost like outliers because I feel like they're both 
so based on the filmmaking yes. that I didn't really care so much about the war movie genre of it all. And Dunkirk, crisp 90 minutes or whatever it is, too, or barely over. In 1917, I don't think it's maybe like two hours, a little over, a little under. But that was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did basically like a running mission movie in a war setting, try to make it look like it's one shot. Right. For this one, the timing was perfect, where there hasn't been a huge hit like anti-war movie in a little while. And you have everything with Ukraine right now in Europe a hundred years later. So the timing of it worked really well, but it was just done so, so well. Like you were saying earlier about, I think Saving Private Ryan is probably the bar for like the perfect tonal differentiation with the heroism and war as hell because it was World War II, but World War II had been used as such a rah-rah war for the genre, especially in like the 50s and 60s. So that was a really good movie to have someone whose father was a veteran 50 years later to honor those men and to show it was awful and like we shouldn't glorify this, but at the same time, this was a just war if there is such a it's kind of an oxymoron but that was about as close as you can get to it and what a neat human story to tell within the war so i think this one to me is this is the perfect bar for a an anti-war movie where you see how stupid it all is but you get that empathy and good characters that you follow and you're seeing everything they struggled with and you honor and respect everything that they went through and like, Hey, let's not do this. Let's try to not do this anymore. So many war movies over the last 20 years have been like apolitical. Yeah. They've tried to not take a side. It's just been about like the troops are brave, Mm -hmm. which is like a very safe thing. It's just like, yes, it's like people who do that are takes a lot to do that. And that's because, you know, you and I have talked about this off the air. It's because of that little <laughs> little blunder that happened in the early part of the first decade of this century. The Iraq War, because everyone was so gung-ho and patriotic, and it was like this very odd time. There were a couple of movies that came out that were like very, like, old-fashioned in how they depicted war as, like, this is the most glorious thing that can be done. And then a movie like the hurt locker comes out, which is, it's not people were comparing, Oh, this is like the platoon for the Iraq. War. No, no, it's not at all. It's just a sort of a slice of life movie about, about what it's like to be a bomb disposal guy in Iraq, but it's not making a statement on anything. It's whole thing is just no addicted to war in the way that a drug addict would be addicted to their drug of choice. The movie she made about, the Bin Laden raid is like apolitical. <laughs> like it's like th- there's that movie, uh, the Horse Soldiers, the Twelve Strong, where Chris Hemsworth and a bunch of oh my god, we've talked about this before. Yeah, we've talked yeah. about this. Yeah, all these like horse marines, they have to do their special mission, and uh, it gives the impression that like, well, they completed their mission and <laughs> the war in Afghanistan was over. The movie takes place, and in- we won. The movie takes place <laughs> yeah. in 2001. <laughs> like yes, so. There's a certain way war gets kind of treated and depicted in film. And I think it's not, this movie is not an American movie. It's not a big studio movie. It's on Netflix. It's about a a very, a war that's, you know, 
over a century old at this point. A story everyone kind of knows, but like you might not have read the book, you might not have seen the other, the original 30s film or the god awful TV Ernest Borgnine film, which does have Ian Holm in it in a great performance as a character named Himmelstoss, who is as evil as that name sounds. Mm. It's just really good at just depicting like there's no way to spin this, it's just pointless. It's just it's just mud and blood and tears and you die. And if you don't die, all your friends died. And like yeah. the people who make the decisions, the people back home, the officers, the commanders, they don't give a shit about you. They're only thinking about themselves and their place in history. Yeah. They don't care about you and what you're doing. You're just pieces that they move around on a board. So uh, to see a genuine anti-war film was kind of like, cause I, I watched it because I thought, Oh, War film on Netflix, like, this is one of those movies, this was made for me, like, this is being targeted towards my demographic, I'm going to watch it. And I thought it was going to be kind of standard, sort of. And it's not. It's brought a whole new thing to the story. Yeah. And so, pleasantly surprised at how far it went. Because the book is, like, genuinely anti-war. And so I thought it was good that the movie was genuinely anti-war. Yeah. And a, a good script that added, I think, a lot to the story. Because I had seen the 30s film yeah. and not that long ago. And my memory of it is that it was pretty concentrated yeah. on Paul and his troop and just what they go through. And I remember being taken aback by like, oh, this was made in, you know, 30, 31, whatever it was. So World War II hadn't even happened yet. Yeah. So it was still the Great War. And like, wow, for a movie back then to be so clearly, yeah, war's awful. I was very impressed by that. Obviously it doesn't hold up theatrically as well as this does, sure. but yeah, Absolutely. but this yeah. added so many levels script wise, but then the extra elevation with how good all of the technical aspects of this were the, the visual effects, the cinematography, this one best cinematography also, I believe. And it looked tremendous. It looked really, really good. And it sounded good in the score. Like I said, it was really effective this was a very well-made movie that I was surprised I liked as much as I did. And this would have been up there for me. I would have Top Gun Maverick, of course, would have gotten my best picture vote. It's going to get my best picture vote every year moving forward, <laughs> even when it's no longer eligible. With the Fablemans being a close second. And then this this May, this is probably, I think, third for me. So, yeah, I really, really like this a lot. Great movie. See this. See All Quiet on the Western Front. It's on Netflix. Everyone has Netflix. See it. And this you could watch in a couple parts, too. Yeah. Especially yeah. if it's heavy, and it, it, it wouldn't really... It, it would not take away from the experience. No, and there's some, like, this, natural break it up in pause like points. There's, like, some natural breaking breaking points. But definitely, definitely recommend. I think we'd recommend almost all the movies we've talked about so far. Definitely. Banshees and All Quiet have to be in a certain mood. Yes. 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 Weird Al, I think the also the asterisk, like you said, is if you don't like either Weird Al or like silly movies, then you might not enjoy this too much. Nope. And Banshee's All Quiet, Weird Al, definitely overall recommend you check them out. Absolutely. Danny and I are going to have a second conversation about a few other movies that we saw in 2022 that we wanted to recap and possibly recommend. One of them, I don't know if we're going to recommend. We're going to stop here. And we will be back soon with a continuation of this conversation. Thank you very much for listening. So long.
you want to sell your death sticks. I don't want to sell your death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life.